When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Working is supported by MailChimp. More than 7 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. Teams can collaborate with MailChimp to design and track newsletters or just get work done easier. MailChimp. Send better email. Find out more at MailChimp.com. Hello and welcome to Working, a podcast about what people do all day. I'm David Plotz. What is your name and what do you do? Eddie Rankin. I'm a fruit grower in Ortana, Pennsylvania. What's the name of your farm? The farm's Twin Springs Fruit Farm. And how big is the farm and how long have you been a farmer? Uh, the farm's approximately 100 acres in size. Mostly apples and peaches, but a lot of vegetables as well. We've been in business since 1980. We direct retail everything we grow in the Washington, D.C. area. Just briefly, because people will hear this in your voice, you're not American. How is it that you, uh, an Irishman, are a farmer in rural Pennsylvania? Sheer accident. I'm not from a farming background, but I arrived in in Adams County, in this area, way back in 1974, and fell in love not only with the beauty of it, but with the uh, art of growing apples. It just fascinated me from the start, and I've never looked back. Tell us what you farm, and then what you do with it, and how you make money from it. We grow apples, peaches, pears, plums, nectarines, cherries, Apricots, blueberries, strawberries, raspberries, blackberries. Um, we have approximately 35,000 square feet of greenhouses that grow tomatoes, cucumbers, arugula, lettuce, basil, eggplant, and peppers at this stage. And then we have approximately 15 acres of vegetables outside we grow everything from tomatoes, potatoes, garlic, onions, winter squash, Brussels sprouts, peas. Oh, I'm missing things. I know there's more. <laughs> uh, 
And then how does that become a business? Basically, we sell everything that we grow at farmers markets. Uh, we do farmers markets that are run by extension services, and we sometimes set up farmers markets where, where we are the only people there uh, selling our produce. Being the only person there means that it gives you the option to be able to sell other people's produce. Most farmers markets are, you can only sell what you grow. Uh, it's really hard to grow everything. It's it's actually really hard to grow all the stuff we do right now. It feels like everything. But there's there's always products that we just aren't able to grow in this location. We started doing those markets way back in 1980. One of my partners read an article in the Washington Post that uh, said that they were looking for vendors for a farmer's market at RFK Stadium. And we ended going to that, and it was highly successful. Uh, in fact, it was so much fun to do it. It wasn't work, and we were there from 7 o'clock in the morning till 5 o'clock at night. But that's what got us started we did three markets, I think, the second year, probably five different markets the third, and so on and so on. Now we're up to uh, 18 different locations in the greater Washington area. What do you think the key difference between being a farmer, a small farmer who sells directly to urban consumers is from being a a farmer who whose basic dealings are with ConAgra or who, who works at a giant farm out in the Midwest somewhere who isn't selling to consumers and is basically dealing with a, a huge agricultural economy. In comparison to, say, uh, corn growers you know, who are growing thousands of acres, you know, we've got 100 acres. So we have to be much more intensive to, uh, to make a living on, on this farm. I mean, the reason we're growing a lot of these crops is because customers tell us what they want. If it works for us, we grow it. If not, someone else does. <laughs> it makes for a, it's a very different model. This, this doesn't really work for very large farms because, you know, their production levels are so high that the amount that we sell is a, a drop in the bucket. For example, we grow about 10,000 bushels of apples a year, approximately. One of my neighbors around here picks about 10,000 bushels per day during apple season because they're, they've got 500 acres. Different market that they're selling to and their idea is to, is to do it on volume. We get a better return per bushel than they do, but, but they make it up with, with high volume. Let's talk about apples because that's your that is you, what brought you into this. So, walk us through a day. I mean, maybe there is no typical day of dealing with an apple, dealing with a, your your orchard, but but try to find a typical day. This will probably be a mixture of four or five days, but almost to describe it as a typical week, and I'll make it a little smaller. Uh, first thing in the morning when I get up. I'm having my breakfast, and I go online and look at emails. I have a weather forecasting service for the farm, which will tell me humidity, uh, temperatures, wind speed, chances of rain, what the percentage chance of rain is, all that sort of information. So you have literally a service that you you pay for just for the farm? How does that work? The company that we use is called Skybit, and they're out of State College 
that's the time where Penn State is, uh, which is a, a famous meteorological school. They also provide us with another service, which is uh, to do with the major pests that can affect my crop, uh, such as oriental fruit moth, uh, codling moth, tufted apple budworm, and of course right now the dreadful brine marmorated stink bug. Penn State Fruit Research Lab is very close to where I farm here. It's about 10 miles away, and the entomologists there have worked out this has been developed all over the United States. The ability to monitor when the hatch occurs of different bugs and therefore be able to specifically say when they're hatching and when they, are, they need to be uh, taken care of. That's, that's a very useful tool. And from Skybit, they also send out uh, information on insects. That's the one I use mostly. They also send out information on uh, fungus diseases. Uh, because here on the east coast of the United States, we are basically growing crops in a temperate rainforest area, so we have a lot of fungus diseases and things that have to be taken care of. So I interrupted you. You were just you you were just doing the first thing of your day. So let's go back. So you checked your email. All right. Yeah. Okay. Now it's five thirty-one in the morning. Uh, <laughs> I live uh, ten miles off the farm in, in Gettysburg. Uh, so I just run up here, no traffic jams. It's very nice. I used to make these gigantic lists of all the things we would do so I could go and talk to my farm manager and uh, see how we were going to do things. And, of course, I arrive in here at six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning, and already something's happened and everything's changed. And, you know, oh, no, we have to go and pick blueberries because the birds are getting at them, or we need to pick some peaches I've, I've sort of given up on trying to micromanage. <laughs> you, you basically know a lot of the, of the different things you're going to be, have to do, but you never know quite which day it's going to be. For example, when we have, um, say, say, codling moth is, is about to hatch, you, you then can plan at a certain number of uh, percentage of the hatch is when is the best time to go out and use an insecticide to deal with that. And normally, it's, you know, in old-fashioned times, back in, by old-fashioned, I mean 20 years ago, you were basically spraying by the week trying to cover it because you never quite knew when that bug was there. You knew it was there between, you know, for a period of three weeks, so you'd put on three sprays by using the forecasting systems we can tell exactly when we can spray and do it with maybe two sprays or if we're lucky even one for for different types of pests our farm is an, an a farm that uses integrated pest management virtually every farm in the, in the fruit industry is is heavily involved in ipm and i can really only speak to that that's an area that i know something about it's so totally different than people's image of of spraying trees that it's you know it's Rachel Carson's uh, book you know Silent Spring that just doesn't occur anymore. I mean it is and the materials are becoming what are known in the business as softer. In other words, they're specifically targeted to a specific bug. Things like DDT are were long gone before I even got into the business. Back to your day. Well, 
after having talked to Arturo about what we're going to do. It can involve going out, uh, picking fruit, whether we it's strawberries at the start of the season. Right now we're starting to pick uh, blueberries, and we look to have a very good crop. We're uh, very excited about that. Those are things that can take up most of the morning. And while that's going on, I'm not necessarily with the guys all the time. Uh, I used to be when, when this was a much smaller far, farm, but it's got so intensive that we divide the crews up and people are doing different tasks. Like uh, on a Monday morning is my day for going around and checking all the traps that I have hanging out in the trees, which help to tell me what the populations of different bugs are. That's another of the ways we can see a buildup, and, and there are... Uh, for example, these are these are traps that have a pheromone lure that will draw the bugs in, and they there's a sticky sheet there that they stick to. So I can take that out, look, and count the number of bugs that are the ones that are a potential threat. And there are thresholds set for the number that you would count in a trap. As long as we don't exceed that threshold, we don't need to spray. There's a certain amount of economic damage we accept. But if it gets over the threshold, then I need to do something about it. And that's when we... Th- those, those are the occasions when we have to go out and spray. So you spend your, most of your time worrying about bugs, apparently. I spend a lot of time worrying about bugs, making sure that with all the money that we've put into growing the crop, that we don't end up with something full of worms, which customers would probably not like. Actually, right now, just going off the subject of of the apples, which I was on before, but we're into raspberries, and raspberries are very nerve-wracking. Raspberries, blueberries, and blackberries are all very nerve-wracking right now because of a new invasive pest called spotted-winged drosophila. And it's a tiny little fruit fly that lays its eggs in ripening fruit, and you don't see it when you pick it. But if the customer takes it home and it sits on the kitchen counter for a couple of days before they finished eating them they might find out that there's little worms coming out of it and that's not really good for business so you're 65 years old um and you have you have a farm where there are lots of people you have lots of employees do you still do hard farm labor unfortunately <laughs> yes it is physically very demanding and I'm, I'm i really feel it i mean um, I hope there's no doctors listening. Uh, I've been using a leave every day for about three years, <laughs> and I need to take it in the morning when I go to work. I'm, I'm trying not to do that all the time. Uh, I know that's not good for me, but it's still physical. I mean, it, it just is. Farming is physical. What are the kinds of physical labor that you do on a daily basis? Uh, well, you're constantly lifting crates, loading onto trucks. Well, you know, attaching a, a mower onto the back is f- of a tractor is physical. You're jumping on and off. I walk a lot on the farm. I mean, I, I used to figure I walked about three miles around the farm every day. I probably only do about a mile now. I'm getting lazier, and I jump in the truck. But, you know, there's a lot of bending over and lifting and twisting. And, and at the end of the day, you feel it. You really do. Plus, of course, you know, we're out in the sun all the time. It's very draining. I drink quarts and quarts of water a day when it's when we're up in the 80s as soon as it gets to 80 it gets it gets really tough but like i said it's it's great and as you can see from here the view <laughs> you know that you know penthouse office with the with the view 
I've got it here in spades. It is just gorgeous up here. This episode of Working is sponsored by MailChimp. More than 7 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. Teams can collaborate with MailChimp to design and track newsletters and just get work done easier. Plus, MailChimp distributes hats for cats and small dogs. You can find out more at MailChimp.com. MailChimp. Send better email. Talk about the employer aspect of this. You have, a, as you said, 45 people maybe who earn their living from the farm, and including migrant laborers or laborers who I assume are probably not Native Americans. How, what's that process? How do you find them? How do you speak to them? What language? What's your lingua franca? Well, actually, the, I'm very, very fortunate uh, in that uh, our, our foreman is uh, Arturo Diaz, who's been in this country for 20-something years. Um, he speaks English. He knows as much as I do on the farm. In fact, probably more now in terms of the ripening of the fruit, the timing of when we do it. He's almost, I mean, I'm saying, well, I guess it's about time we should do this. And he says, yeah, Thursday afternoon we'll be picking this. Or we can wait till Friday morning because I've got to get such and such done. He is in charge of all the hiring. What we find is Arturo gets good guys in here. And people like working with him. He's a, he's a really nice guy. And he's good to, the, uh, to all the guys that work for us. And as a result of that, we get... A lot of guys returning to us every year. We, we can't keep everybody going all year long, obviously. But um, I would say that 60% of our labor force every year are returnees who have worked for us. Some have worked for us for eight or, eight or ten years. What? Um, tell me about a particular disaster you've had as a farmer. I'm going to... <laughs> I'll give you one disaster because it turned out to work out well for us in the end. But I'm always I'm always good at ideas. I have crazy ideas at times. And one of them was I thought we were, we were, we had just started growing uh vegetables in greenhouses and I thought what about fruit in greenhouses? I think that I would like to grow raspberries in a greenhouse. I can grow the plants in pots and bring the pots in in January to a heated greenhouse where they will put on leaf, flower, and produce fruit, and we can sell red raspberries in February, March, April, because you could just do crop after crop of these in the greenhouse, and we, we already had a a retail base that we could sell a lot of this stuff and you can get really good money for raspberries and we did this for we we had plants specially grown for us uh i i chose the variety very carefully it was the best tasting variety that i could get it was a toss-up between a new york variety and a california variety and i chose the california one this was a mistake the california variety did not like temperatures under 32 we knew that from the start, so we were supposed to keep them at a, a temperature above 32, and I had rented storage space to be able to keep them, keep the plants, and then we brought them out, brought them to our greenhouse, planted them, and had a great crop the first year. The second year, that storage wasn't available to me, so we tried keeping them in a barn, and 
I thought everything was well, and we brought the pots out of the barn, put them in the greenhouse, laid them out, made the little, you know, ran strings to hold the plants upright. Because we're talking about growth that's uh, three or four feet in the air here and rather flimsy. It wants to be on a trellis at all times. Did all this work and waited for them to show some buds, and they seemed to be very slow in producing buds, and we figured, that's ah, just the weather, wait another week, and they'll pop. Went on with everything else we were doing, and all of a sudden I noticed that the weeds were growing really nicely in the pots, and there were little green leaves coming just out of the ground, but the entire cane had frozen out. And so this was a big investment. We'd spent about uh, 25000 on a greenhouse and set the whole system up for this, and my partners were looking at me like I was a complete idiot, which was a fair uh, assessment, actually. The, the good news was we had some old plastic lying around from having put a new cover on the greenhouses, and we pulled all those plants out. We had some fence posts lying around that I just laid out in two lines, put the plastic over the top, threw soil in it, and we thought we'll, we'll grow some uh, lettuce greens. And one of the things we planted was arugula in there. And it actually worked very well and became extremely popular. And that greenhouse now grows lettuce, arugula, basil, sometimes um, bok choy, and sometimes Swiss chard. So we salvaged (laughs) my disaster. Do you get mad at the plants? Do you give them actual volition and character or, or is the rage always at yourself or or at the weather it's always at me or the weather it's never at the plants it's often at the bugs <laughs> yeah oh no it's never the plants actually i i think they're pretty remarkable <laughs> plants are well everything that grows is is actually rather remarkable when you think about it you know one of the things about growing stuff and and being out in in the open all the time is you actually see, why do you get sections of one specific plant in a specific spot most people don't think about that but actually it's all to do really with what environment can that plant survive in it they're struggling against everything else grasses are struggling against broad leaves broad leaves against grasses trees against each other for light and it's just so interesting to to watch this this sort of battle that goes on we we try and get rid of broad leaves and just grow grass up the center of our rows because broadleaves are hosts to various bugs, which can be a problem. Aphids, for example. Um, Last question: I asked you about terrible things that happened. So, what, so what was the what's what's a farming triumph for you? Like, I nailed this. This is an amazing thing that that we did. Gold rush apples. I was given ten trees of gold rush apples by a fruit grower from. Ohio, who drove all the way out here to get uh, samples of, uh, he wanted to get budwood from stamen trees that we had that didn't crack. That the, the fruit sometimes on stamen, if we get a lot of rain, they will actually crack and become worthless. And we had trees that didn't seem to crack very much. So he came out to get budwood, and in return, well, he asked me how much I wanted for it. I said, no, you can just have it. I mean, we'd be pruning that stuff off anyway and gave, uh, sent to me budwood for two varieties of apples that he thought were extremely good, and one of them was Gold Rush. And we really liked Gold Rush, 
and committed to growing a lot more of them. And everyone had told us that Gold Rush is an apple that you pick, put in storage, and then sell in the spring. Well, we like the flavor of it coming right off the tree. It's, it's an incredibly crisp, solid apple with a tart, sweet flavor to it. And we started selling them in Washington, and I've never seen a reaction to an apple that's been better than the reaction to Gold Rush. It was phenomenal. And now lots of other people who do farmer's markets are planting Gold Rush and selling them. The only other one that's interesting, which is something, of course, which I didn't do, but we find here, we find a variety of apple on our farm, a Fuji, in fact. There was a tree called a Yataka tree, and we had a number of them in, and they grew particularly ugly fruit, didn't look very good. And I was talking with a um, a man called Phil Bacher, who is one of the owners of Adams County Nursery. And I was talking about the trees and complaining about them, and he came out to see them as we were walking up the road saying, yeah, this is one dreadful tree. We noticed a branch uh, on the very bottom of one of these trees that had apples that had really good color. And I looked at it, and he looked at it, and I said, oh, that's interesting. And he said, that's more than interesting, because being a nurseryman, he understood that is a, a, what was called a limb sport. It was something that grew differently on the tree due to some strange genetic effect. So he cut a branch off that tree, and there were seven buds on it, and and those trees were those buds were put on M26 rootstocks, and we planted three on our farm, and he planted uh, three in one of his test blocks, and the object was to grow a tree and get some fruit on it and see if it remained highly colored, if it remained true to type, as is the description in the business. And it did. And as soon as we realized this, we knew we had a new early variety of Fuji. This is an apple that can be picked in the second week of September in, in our area. And... Fuji, the standard Fuji, which originated in Japan, is picked in late October. It's very late. So growers in up, uh, upper New York can't grow that because they just don't have enough uh, days to grow it and harvest it. So the apple was patented, and it's known as Daybreak Fuji, and now it's sold all over the East Coast. Anyway, uh, fruit growing right now is getting very strange. It used to be that everyone knew what the varieties were. They were Red Delicious, Golden Delicious, Rome Beauty, and Stamen were the East Coast apples. Now there's dozens of apples, and they come from everywhere. And you grow a variety, and in 10 years' time, nobody wants it anymore. We used to sell a lot of Matsu apples. Now they're one of the hardest sells we have. We still have a few left, but people who just moved on to other apples. And it, it happens. Everyone wants the newest, latest thing. And uh, sometimes they're better, sometimes they're not, though. You, you find out as you go. Stupid Honeycrisp. Yeah, Honeycrisp is, is a grower's nightmare. <laughs> the tree is dreadful to grow. It's slow, it can runt out. It, if it sets fruit too early, it'll just stop growing. It's got problems with a disease called bitter pit, which involves its ability to absorb calcium into the fruit. There are certain rootstocks that they're going to now that are better, I spray calcium on those trees and lots of it. Uh, 
and it seems to work. It's, it's biennial. If you don't thin it right, you won't get a crop the next year, and then it'll get into the habit of just producing every other year. But it tastes good, I guess. I'm not a fan. <laughs> it's funny. I like, I like tart apples, so the, uh, that apple's not, not my favorite. Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. On the next episode, I'm going to talk to Corey Stamper. She is a lexicographer. That means she writes dictionary definitions for Merriam-Webster. She defined the word take. That's a really hard word to define. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.